You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump says Iran had planned to attack four U.S. embassies. We check in with Morgan Ortega, spokeswoman at the State Department, and new sanctions against Iran. What does it mean for the de escalating tensions between the two countries? Meanwhile, breaking news on the impeachment front. President Trump says he's going to invoke executive privilege, folks, to block Bolton testimony. We begin tonight with impeachment because there's new developments on President Trump now telling Fox News that he would, in fact, invoke executive privilege to prevent John Bolton, his former national security advisor, from testifying. This just breaking this afternoon. Meanwhile, uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi says that next week, Lawmakers are going, and the House representatives are going to pick their uh, folks on who's going to represent the House and pro- do the prosecution in the Senate impeachment trial, which is a strong indicator that this is going to get underway. We're going to get to all of that, plus the latest on the U.S. and Iran tensions. And oh yeah, it's Jobs Day, uh, and Maddie Duffler's here for Jobs Day, and she's eager to talk about jobs. We're going to get to it, Maddie. But 145 just missing estimates on our jobs number. That's right. And uh, we, so you're giving me the link Link like I can talk. Um, it, it was the last month that we had jobs data for 2019. So there's a couple conclusions we can draw from that. And we we'll get to about. those conclusions coming up. Maddie, of course, is senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union and the former coalition's director for the House Republican Conference. Mark Ross is here, CEO of Caracal Global, a firm that specializes in globalization here based in Washington, D.C. He's also our go-to China expert. And Eli Yokely returns. He's a political reporter for Morning Consult. All right, Eli, executive privilege, John Bolton. I didn't see this coming. I thought the other day at the press conference, President Trump indicated that he would be okay with whomever was going to testify. Well, when you have somebody so eager to come out that might have uh, bad information about you, that's sort of your only move. And that's the same thing he did in the House trial. Look, we did some polling on this this week, pretty timely, looking at um, whether voters thought witnesses should appear in the Senate trial. Um, over half thought they did, including the uh, 
big majority of Democrats, half of independents, Republican voters are split evenly on this. A, a good chunk of the American people want to hear witnesses. Trump doing this sort of puts them at odds with that. Uh, but, you know, a, an impeachment trial is very different than a, than a trial in a, in a court. And so, I, you know, right? I mean, you're yeah. going to have lawmakers up there and Speaker Pelosi uh, is going to, to be, you know, launching the she's she's initiating the Trump trial next week. And then you've got this witness fight right. now really, really heating up. And I'm, I'll read from the Bloomberg Terminal by my colleagues, Billy House and Stephen T. Dennis, who have just done stellar reporting on this. Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the House will prepare to send articles of impeachment against President Donald Trump to the Senate next week, triggering a new, more serious phase of the battle over witnesses at the trial. And I mean, folks, literally right after she made this announcement, then uh, Susan Collins came out and she says that she wants she's talking with GOP colleagues because they all want to hear testimony. And now you've got the Bolton thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pelosi was feeling pressure, too. Um, The same poll we did found that the majority of voters wanted her to get on with this, including most Democrats thought it was time to get this to the Senate's court. I mean, you saw uh, Senator uh, Dianne Feinstein of California come out opposite of Pelosi on this. You saw even one of her chairmen do this. She had to rein them in. And then here we are on Friday with her uh, announcing this is getting rolling. I think that's where the public probably is. And by the way, it's not all good news for Donald Trump. I mean, still a majority of the public thinks he should be impeached. Um, uh, half of the voters think he should resign from office right now. So this is not a good place to be. And this, Mark Ross, I mean, come in here because the the markets really haven't moved on any of the, the, the up and down uh, really state of play of the Senate impeachment trial. And I, I don't anticipate that they will I mean, or do, I mean, how do you gauge this? I mean, it seems that the driving forces for the market movers next week are going to be that meeting with President Trump and China Vice Premier LaHue and not about whether or not John Bolton testifies. Yeah, it does seem like the impeachment is conventional wisdom is that this is a nothing burger, that the Republicans will control the process and that, you know, Trump will come out unscathed. But, you know, politically down the road, this is unintended consequence of this. We just don't really know to have a first term president, someone seeking reelection with the term impeachment trial, fighting the process. Um, I think the damage can be done long term to President Trump. In 2019, the markets cared about two things. They cared about the Fed and they cared about U.S.-China trade relations. Now that the Fed has all but paused, the trade question is the one that's outstanding. And even that has been ameliorated somewhat. So it'll be interesting to see in 2020 what drives market sentiment. But to go back to the impeachment thing, I think what we really need to focus on here that we haven't talked about is what happens when there's a trial in the Senate. That means that the U.S. senators have to be in Washington, D.C. to participate in that trial. Who uh, does that matter to? Well, of course, the U.S. senators who are Warren. running for president and the Iowa caucuses are now, where are we at? The 10th? So they're 20 day ish days away. But so, I, I go ahead. So that that to me was the interesting. I found that interesting that Nancy Pelosi was delaying delivering these articles because the timing is so important for Democrats and whether or not it pulls them out of Iowa at a crucial moment. Well, that's my question to Eli Oakley is I, I, it. The whole, I can't even get off the question because my, my head is about to explode. <laughs> the whole argument for Speaker Pelosi was that she had this leverage and that she was going to use this leverage to get concessions for the trial. And now it's what, a month later, post-holiday recess. And what did she get by delaying the trial other than a massive headache for these Democratic presidential contenders? Well, I mean, it's obviously, um, what leverage did she have? I mean, she... Well, I mean, it's a pretty big Senate. deal. With the start, I mean, th- in their camp, they say, well, we're going to get this because now we can we can decide when to start the trial. But but she, I don't... Did she get anything? Yeah. 
Uh, I guess we'll see. I mean, Senator McConnell <laughs> said this week that uh, the question of witnesses would come up later on after they move past the initial rules for the impeachment trial. That'll be something that a lot of senators will get to vote on. And some have expressed interest, particularly on the Republican side. You've seen Mitt Romney say that he wants to hear from John Bolton. You've heard of Susan Collins say something similar. But don't you think that by her signaling that she's going to hand over the, the the articles of impeachment, that she's essentially saying, all right, no no concessions? Maybe. We'll see. All right. We'll all see. right. So let me, let me say this. Who won? I'm going to ask the same question quickly. Who won, Speaker Pelosi or McConnell in the, in the trial of the impeachment in terms of the timing? I think probably it depends on his perspective. You look at this from, obviously, but probably McConnell. Oh, definitely McConnell. Nancy Pelosi. Oh, come on. I've been saying this for months. I, I, mean, I think say, yeah, she's the best political operative in this town. But what did yeah. she get I mean, by delaying the trial? Seriously. Other stuff leaked out. She's putting more pressure on Collins and Romney. You know, anytime you're fighting the process as opposed to, uh, you know, saying, hey, we're going to bring on witnesses, that's not a good thing for the Trumpster. And I think there was a win in getting John See, I would do it. I'm sorry, but I, like authority host privilege. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's, it's not a good thing for the Democrats because you're not talking about the, the issue of what potentially if you're talking process you're losing yeah, and that's, that's what democrats that's, have to right. do now all right but let Eli go because i interrupted and i apologize well, number one <laughs> point number one is that here we are with john bolton saying he's willing to testify that is a win for nancy pelosi the challenge here is you talk True. to republicans looking at elections this year like the head of the national republican congressional committee trying to win back the house and he says he wants to be talking about impeachment all year long and so dragging this fight past christmas into this debate about the Iowa caucuses is just extending a debate that Republicans want to be talking about this year. And remember that what is delayed in the Senate by impeachment is USMCA. What has been the administration's primary goal for the last year is getting that trade deal done. I mean, that talking point, that ad writes itself. Democrats fixated on impeachment have delayed the delivery of a free trade agreement that would allow us to continue to open up new pathways and economic success with our trading partners. All right, speaking of trade again, that big marker calendar on Wednesday, LaHa, Vice Premier of China, coming to the White House for that China Phase 1 deal uh, with the United States. Panel's going to stay. We've got so much more to talk about. The latest on Iran, Maddie, Maddie Dumpler, Mark Ross, Eli Yokely. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The State Department's Morgan Ortega is coming up next. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Do they have large-scale attacks planned for other embassies? And if those were planned, why can't we reveal that to the American people? Wouldn't that help your case? I can reveal that I believe it would have been four embassies. That was President Trump speaking earlier today to Fox News's Laura Ingram, saying that that he believes that Iran was probably targeting the U.S. embassy in Baghdad and was also aiming to attack other embassies when its top general, uh, following the killing of its top general, Qasem Soleimani. Uh, earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I caught up with Morgan Ortegas. She came into our Washington bureau. Uh, she, of course, is the spokesperson for the State Department. Take a listen to our interview. 
After all of the heightened tensions that we saw over the past week, a lot of people have been asking us, what is the administration's policy? Where are you going with this? Your viewers will know that for the past year and a half since we withdrew from the JCPOA, we have pursued what we call a maximum economic pressure campaign. Um, and that campaign involves diplomatic isolation and economic isolation of the regime in Iran until they want to behave like a normal nation and change uh, their behavior. Also, the president said on Wednesday, whenever he gave a speech, that he called on European countries uh, and, and other signatories of the JCPOA to withdraw from what he has always considered to be a fundamentally flawed deal. So again, your viewers should know that there is no leaning back on the sanctions regime. If anything, we're leaning in. You know, I want to talk about uh, Europe in a second, but I was looking through my notebook uh, on the way back from the White House and, uh, you know, construction, metals, mm -hmm. eight senior Iran officials, additional sanctions on anyone trading or owning in Iran's economy. I mean, this is arguably the most uh, tough sanctions that have ever really been implemented against Iran thus far to this point. And not only that, we also uh, named leader uh, members of the Supreme yeah. Council's leadership that, that are also being sanctioned. It's important to note that Secretary uh, Pompeo pointed out that some of these people were directly involved in the ballistic missile, missile mm. attack against the United States. And, and I would remind everyone that that ballistic that those ballistic missiles are in defiance of U.N. Security Resolution, uh, Security Council Resolution 2231. Um, so there is a pattern of behavior here of, of, of not complying with uh, with these international agreements. But you are going to let, you know, this, the administration is going to let uh, U.S. investigators uh, look into that plane. Yeah, we think that's incredibly important. I mean, obviously, as soon as the Ukrainian airliner crashed, Secretary Pompeo um, tweeted his condolences mm -hmm. to the family. We never want to see the innocent loss uh, of life. And so so we are waiting for a thorough investigation. Secretary Mnuchin has said whether it's Americans, Canadians, Ukrainians, whoever asks for a waiver to be involved in this investigation, that we will permit it. And I would remind you that the regime in Iran is, is still denying what all Western countries have realized is, the, is, is, is what happened as it relates to the missile attack. That was Morgan Ortegas. She, of course, is the spokeswoman for the State Department speaking with me earlier today on Bloomberg Television. She came into our Washington bureau. Maddie Dupler's here, senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, former coalitions director for the House Republican Conference. Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult. And Mark Ross, CEO of Caracal Global. Mark, I'm going to start with you because I'm struck by how we're ending the week with de-escalating tensions between the U.S. and Iran. They've added additional sanctions, as we just heard from Morgan. And I, I, I'm, I'm struck from your perspective and given your background with China and the Chinese economy, well, what China must be thinking about this, especially given their reliance on the Strait of Hormuz and how that is such a dominant area for them to get energy from. Yeah, it's a huge issue, not only for uh, China, but also Japan, who's sending more, uh, uh, deploying some of their Navy to work in that part of the world. I mean, the amount of energy that is being shipped from the Middle East to Asia, nearly 60% of China's oil, uh, it's a huge issue. And even during uh, this whole skirmish, the Chinese foreign minister had made a trip to Tehran. Um, it's a very complicated when issue. When was that? When was that trip? I would have to say, I don't know, Tuesday. Was it, this this week? A, it was definitely this week. Wow. Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, yeah. But this week, I mean, think about that, week. folks. The, the Chinese foreign minister goes to Tehran in the middle of all of this. I mean, that just illustrates just how important, how, how, much, how much China doesn't want escalating tensions either. Well, in Japan, too. Like, I just really, the, really, at the end of the day, the global economy still depends on. The Middle East oil. Uh, you know, America has been blessed with energy independence, but the Middle East, Korea, Japan, China, India, they're all exporting a lot of fuel out of there, and, and stability is key. Can we just understand? Yesterday I interviewed the uh, 
the, uh, David Bernhardt, the, de the Department of Interior. He's the Secretary of Interior. And, I mean, he noted that, that for the first time in years, really ever, last year, I think it was the first year, where we became, as a country, the first uh, exporter for the first time. We export more than we import in terms of oil, and that's pre-Anwar decision. Yeah, no so one we, knows when that when that'll happen, but it, it's a very different Middle Eastern skirmish when you're exporting more energy than you're importing more energy. Like that wasn't the case back in 1990. No, that's correct. It has changed the calculus domestically for the U.S. But as our role, you know, our U.S. Navy is superior. Our role of protecting right. global commons, the need to protect global commerce, uh, the military is taking a more focused look. So we're still focused on that part of the world, even though we're not directly impacting by importing the oil. All right, so that's the geopolitics. Let's now turn to the domestic political impact of U.S. and Iran. Eli, what are the polls saying? How are the parties reacting to this? How are independents reacting yeah. to this? We'll be in the field this weekend seeing a response to the strikes against uh, U.S. troops in the Middle East. After Trump's initial strike, though, most voters really supported the initial strike, though they did say it made them less safe in this country, and a, a greater share even said that uh, they, they said it made war more, war more likely, which we kind of saw this week. Um, the other thing is, though, you know, voters don't know a whole lot about Iran. One of my colleagues at Morning Consult this week published this really interesting story looking at if voters could find Iran on the map. <laughs> and it was less than three in ten voters could pinpoint Iran on a map of the Middle East. It got even smaller when they saw a map of the whole world. And a lot of Americans learned of Qasem Soleimani for the first time on Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, this is not a well-known character right. across this uh, this country. And so when the president's speaking in Toledo, Ohio, I mean, he doubled down to his supporters last night, particularly about that. So yeah. I think Americans, what I'm hearing from you, Americans are still sorting through all of this and di processing this uh, in their minds before making up a, 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 an opinion. Yeah, they've got to learn about it. Independence, at least. Yeah. Oh, I think uh, most Republicans were on board with this. Democrats were against it, obviously. That's what we've seen throughout the Trump administration. All right, so that's the politics. Market reaction. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say. The interesting got, thing like, is... like, a minute left. Right, but the interesting thing is you saw not much of a market reaction. Right. And, and this is... He due calmed in part, the markets, and I reported on that. It's due part to what Mark is talking about, which is we don't have this, this energy complexity anymore that we used to have, but also, even with the Democrat House of Representatives saying they're going to vote to restrict the uh, war powers the president has, there still and isn't that market... To, that happened last night. Well, but there still isn't market anxiety about that, which I find to be very, very interesting. Because like, it's are, never going to go anywhere. Well, are we a country that's become a nerd to the thought of war? I don't know. Uh, I think we're going to find out pretty soon. All right. That's a great point. And again, that vote, uh, the House, Democrat-controlled House, passed it just a couple of hours before the president started speaking in Toledo. Coming up... We could talk more policy and politics with our panel, Jobs Day, folks. Maddie Duppler is going to weigh in on that. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Friday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Maddie Duffler's here. Mark Ross, Eli Yokely. Guys, it's going to be like close to 70 degrees and sunny in Washington, hey, D.C. tomorrow. It's so great. What are you going to do with Lila, your newborn? Um, Just go outside yes. and enjoy the weather. You know, I'm from Wisconsin, so like when you oh, get nice weather in you January, you take advantage of it. And you're going to be rooting for the Green Bay Packers. And I'm rooting for the Packers. Goal, pack, goal. I think that I'm also rooting for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, All right. Because I'm, Welcome aboard, Kev. I'm still dismayed that the league has not penalized <laughs> Seattle for what was such an egregious play 
so unethical, so awful. Hopefully, so we can reap our revenge you for should, you. You should on reap Sunday. your revenge on on he who must not be named, <laughs> and just target him. And just it's awful. Hey, that hey, the hey league, no dirty football. The league, the league should have at least issued a fine. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, okay, let's talk about uh, or who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for the Baltimore Ravens. My good friend Sarah is a huge fan, season ticket holder. Don't want to d- let her down. She's obsessed. All right. I'm on the bandwagon. All right, I'll jump <laughs> Lamar on Lamar Jackson. You know, my sister lives in Baltimore, so I'm, I'm going to root for them. And, and Harbaugh. Connection. I don't yeah, know. Michigan. Yeah. And Eli Yokely. I'm just standing with the Chiefs, man. They're playing oh, this Sunday, too. That's okay. Good. Okay. Okay. And any big plans? Is anyone who's doing something fun? I'm going to do some gardening tomorrow because I'm an old, it's, boring it's guy. It's January, <laughs> but it feels like spring. I've got to clean out my it's garden. Like early to be gardening, right? Well, I gotta clean out some stuff. I, I I don't have a green thumb. I I kill everything that is in my. Same. Anyway, Jobs Day, uh, missing the mark. Hundred of forty-five thousand jobs added to the U.S. economy in the month of September. December. December, Kevin. I swear <laughs> I'm awake. December. Hundred forty-five thousand jobs added in December, the least since May, after a downwardly revised two hundred and fifty-six thousand advance the prior month, according to the Labor Department that was released earlier today. We've got Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor. He spoke with uh, my buddy Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Television earlier today. Take a listen to Kudlow. The rising stock market is indicating a lot of business and consumer confidence, in my judgment. And I think it's forecasting, essentially, an even stronger economy in the coming year. Okay, Maddie, go. All right. So as you mentioned, a little soft on the number for the month in December, 145. Expectation was 160. But since this is our last read for 2019, we can now look at the entire year and see how we did on the jobs landscape. But 176,000 jobs now is the average for each month in 2019. That is pretty darn good. In fact, that is 10 years that we've seen jobs expand. We've seen payrolls rise, which is unheard of since we started taking this data 80 years ago. So, you know, when you talk about, when you hear from Larry Kudlow talking about how he's optimistic for the future, it, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not the expansion has legs and how long it will continue. What we know, at least from the consumer side and from the employment side, uh, that things look pretty robust here. Now, the one thing that always gets a lot of attention every month is the wage number. Are people earning more money for the work that they're doing? They are, but that number did come in a little bit under where it was last, the previous month, came in at 2.9% from the previous December on that reading. Now, what that means is that people still have experienced a pay raise that is rising above the rate of inflation, so that's good. But the uh, we mentioned earlier how the Fed has been kind of the, the thorn in the side of the market, been something policymakers have been watching uh, when it comes to economic policy for the past year. And the question is, what is causing the softness in wages if, in fact, we have a, a, an employment market that is so fiery hot? Well, there's a couple different uh, reasons that that could be happening. One, I think is a very interesting perspective. Now, some good news in the jo- uh, the jobs report on December was that for the first time in ten years, more women are working than men. Fifty point yeah, I want to underscore this. Yeah, so for the first time for the first time in ten years. In 10 years. In 10 years. In 10 years. There are more women mm-hmm. working than men. Now, the reason I bring How that much? up. How it's like, much? It's like 50 points. Yeah, the yeah. women beat out men by about 109,000 jobs, um, which, you know, is, is enough to edge out that first spot. But the reason I bring it up in the conversation about wages is 
the di- the demographics of who is working is partially why we're still seeing a little bit of that softness in wages because it's a different demographic of who's in the workforce. Now, there are other questions too about what's going on in the workforce that would potentially result in wages not rising as quickly as we would expect. Right. I mean, technology, when you make a widget, it's less expensive to, ma- less right. expensive to so make a widget now. So now put on your political cap. Good okay. day or bad day for Trump? So here's why I think it's still a good day for Trump. A, it's still a very good number, 145,000 jobs still, over, yeah. uh, above the rate of what we need for population growth. Um, wages in and of themselves, real wages are still rising, so Americans are feeling better off, and that's the most important part when they're voting. But lastly, even if there is the softness in the wage number, what that actually means is probably higher profits for companies. What does uh. that show up in? It shows up in earnings, and where does that make a difference? In the stock, stock market. market. And we know how the president feels about the stock market. All right, and if that wasn't enough, if you're looking at these numbers, you still really haven't seen too much of a tariff drag in terms of tariffs impacting. I'm seeing you nod your head, but it's not its not a pronounced, I know the business community, if you're in your car, you're going to pull over and <laughs> slam on your brakes that I just said that. Don't, drive safe. But... Uh, meaning it's not it, it it's not as much of a hinder or explicit of a hinder in the jobs. Well, and this is the challenge with those of us who think tariffs are a poor public policy tool, which is that, of course, you're not going to have the economic data telling you that tariffs destroyed what is a very strong economy. However, you can look at manufacturing where we lost jobs, which is also another right. reason why we see fewer men and more women in the workforce. Ah, it's very interesting. All right. Speaking of tariffs, Mark Ross, next week. la January vice premier. Yes, January 15th, Wednesday. Uh, we're expecting uh, 200 plus folks to join. Uh, 200? Yes, the White House is rolling out the red carpet, not only for the Chinese delegation, but also other members of the business community, trade associations. They're making this huge. a big deal. Um, I'm not going. Um, yet. Yet. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> I'll get invited. Um, What's interesting, though, nobody is yet to see the text of the phase one deal, but let's yeah. not that hold us back. Uh, this is a positive development. I think uh, with these jobs numbers, what I'm also looking at in the next few weeks, you've got this big deal, uh, the phase well, one wait, deal. Wait, keeping with, keeping with this for a minute, because we've, we've covered this every twist and turn of, of the U.S.-China phase one trade deal. Why isn't President Xi coming? I mean, why, why not have the Trump-Xi... Handshake, photo op. Why? I mean, th- th- that's why. Because uh, it's not a. I mean, in in proper parlance, it's not a proper trade deal. This is essentially it doesn't need congressional approval. Doesn't need congressional do- it's approval. Only this is one, really, which would indicate that it could be derailed at any time. This is like classic dollar diplomacy by the Chinese. I mean, all they're really promising is to buy more goods and services from the U.S. Uh, I don't want to be cynical about it. It is positive. We've like stopped, if you will, kind of the negative U.S.-China. Relationship we don't know if there's enforcement mechanisms. That's there's, one of the, we what, don't know a lot, but we there's do know... Nobody's the, seen the text. There's no... Exactly. <laughs> it's the administration has essentially pursued this same uh, approach with Japan, with Korea, this kind of administrative agreement that really is more of a understanding of how the trade relationship's going to work. Um, so in that sense, we have a template for it working. But, like, Mark, you're right. Like, what, what does it all mean well, in the long term if we don't have something written down I that's enforceable? Know. Well, I, what I'm looking for is enforcement. Mark, what are you looking the for? The Chinese also don't want to put on paper, you know, hey, we're going to buy X amount of goods. Because they also have trading partners in Brazil yep. and right. Europe. They're, they're right. also, like, we don't want to all say right. what we're going to buy right. from but you. But to say right. this, for me, the biggest thing to look for is enforcement. How will it be enforced? What's the biggest thing for you to look for? I just think it's, we've just stopped kind of the, de- the degradation of the relationship. I think we're going to see more positive. Well, what are you going to look for in the deal? 
when you the, get to the me, text. it's not really a deal. I mean, it's just like it's right. just, we're stopping the negative downfall. I want to know what's left for downfall. phase two. Like if phase I, one is still great, I want to know what's left you for phase, phase two. You want to know phase two. How, so we're talking about the economy, Eli Yokely, Morning Consult reporter. How, and we're talking about China. How is how are Americans responding to that? How are voters responding to that? Do the, the consumer confidence indicators suggest that there's still a lot of confidence in the economy? How, but how, is this resonating at all? Is uh, the, it's resonating with the markets? Is it resonating yeah. with voters? We've seen consumer confidence drop a little bit, um, but the, the big thing I'm looking at is this question of Trump's approval. I mean, that's what matters at the end of the day on this. And in December, Donald Trump had his best net approval of 2019, even amid all of this impeachment stuff. He saw gains in places like Maine and Iowa. Uh, he did not fall in places like Michigan. This, things are looking good for him on the better for him on the improvement front than they were before the impeachment started. Maine is so interesting. Maine's so Maine. like with the, the trade nexus there on lobsters and how crucial that is to their industry, but also just like you know Maine, not really a stalwart Republican yeah. state. But upstate Maine is, oh, they, yeah. and you get there's that nuanced Maine. Upstate Maine's 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 politics. Politics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Oprah weighs in on the uh, Meghan Markle, Prince Harry saga. I'm obsessed with this story. I'm telling you, folks, it's better than The Crown. You can't make this up. Netflix is probably rushing a new series just off of this week alone by the royal family completely upending and the queen's all mad. This is... I'm just obsessed. Anyway, panel stays. I'll stay. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Marianne Williamson has dropped out of the Democratic presidential contest. She's a friend of Bloomberg's Sound On program. Uh, she says, quote, the primaries might be tightly contested among the top contenders, and I don't want to get in the way of a progressive candidate winning any of them. She went on to say, we will not be able to garner enough votes in the election to elevate our conversation anymore than it is now. Again, folks, author and spiritual guru, Marianne Williamson has ended her presidential campaign. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Maddie Dupler's here, Mark Ross and Eli Yokely. It's time now for What's on the Panel's Radar. Maddie, what's on your radar? All right, well, I am going to tease a little bit of research I'm doing about young people and their sentiments when it comes to the economy. And this is going to... First question, how do you define young people? Well, so I focus... (laughs) So I I am guilty of focusing on millennials, but only because I am... How do you define millennials? I'm a medium millennial. If you're a millennial, if you're born before 1997. 
All right. So that's, under the age of what? So under the oh, don't make me do math now. <laughs> but like the oldest under thirty-five millennial. or 40? So, yeah. So thirty-eight. So, uh, right. I don't know. So, so I'm so here now. You're gonna out me. I'm thirty-two. I'm a median millennial. Okay, well, I'll All give right. you that. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't want to out that, anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So I, so many personal things come up in the show for me, Kevin. Um, so anyways, when you look at millennials and kind of their coming of age experience and their their own like financial maturity, it was all during the Great Recession. So you see a lot of shade being thrown at millennials, some for good reason, but mostly this talk of how they don't measure up to other generations, I think, is trash uh, because we live in a different time. You know, now millennials can invest on their smartphones easier than they can buy a house, yet they're still maligned for not investing their life savings in an asset that might not appreciate for them. So yeah. I'm doing some research on that. I think it's really interesting. has a lot to do, too, I think, with why this wage question isn't budging and hope to have more answers when on that When does it soon. come out? We'll see. I can't wait. That's Thank fascinating. Yeah. I think I think the uh, investment and retirement savings crisis in this country is one of the financial sector, financial reporting's uh, biggest contribution to, that the financial press has made is just... It's it's alarming how many people don't save for retirement, uh, for, especially for young anything. people. For anything, yeah, and I think that you got to be financially fit and you got to be physically fit. That's that's true, that. and, and spiritually fit, and and which is why yeah. we just had that moment of pause for Marianne. She was, but I think they should teach that youth financial literacy. One hundred percent. Got to teach it in schools. Marco yes. Rubio, a Republican from Florida, he has a bill called "No Before You Go" that really allows. I'm fortunate because I had an amazing English teacher who was also my guidance counselor, Richard Roper. And he was really my first fiduciary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. When you think of these kids all around the country when they're in their guidance counselor's office. Who is your first financial fiduciary? It's your guidance counselor. Make the first decision that you're making in terms of of, of debt and everything is. Your, your college advisor. And an informed, having an informed financial perspective has cascading effects. I mean, the number of people who think that we could just like fund the military if we tax every millionaire one more cent is silly. Like, we need to have a, well, gra- a greater global right. perspective. And there's the. Po- uh, uh, was, it's not, it's not political. Was, it's not political. I'm saying from a mathematics here perspective. I was having like a nice moment. It was a I'm mathematics talking, question, I'm not a political about my one. I'm English Kev. teacher of yesteryear, <laughs> and now you're. All right. No, it's good stuff. I can't wait to see your research. Eli, what's on your radar? I'm looking for what's next in the Democratic presidential race. Same. Debate coming up next week, the first one of the year. We'll be there. Um, so far, this race has been pretty solid. Not a whole lot of movement nationally. We've seen some upticks for some candidates in some of the early states in recent weeks. Um, just this week, we actually put out, we're starting to track each week head-to-heads at Morning Consult, uh, seeing how, how each of these candidates perform against Donald Trump. And the person who led uh, this week was Joe Biden. He had the biggest advantage compared to anybody against Donald Trump going into this election wow. cycle. Really has that electability argument on his side. And last night in that rally in Ohio, uh, President Trump said that he's going to have people chanting, where's Hunter? Mm-hmm. If he's the nominee, so yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, the, those stories really didn't break through last year. We'll see if Donald, I'm, I'm sure this year Donald Trump will try to make a bigger deal out of him. All right. What's on your radar, Mark? Well, globalization, as you know, I love to talk about that and focus yes. on that. Next week, the EU trade chief, Phil Hogan, will be in D.C. for three days. Uh, so in addition to the Chinese delegation coming over, we also have a senior representative from the European Union going to be in town. And what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about trade, economic development, getting the economy going forward in 2020. Taxing wine at 100%? That, that will not come up. Come up. Oh. It's going to be all, all positive. <laughs> This is the so, year of positivity. Year of positivity, I would hope. But there's just – so this comes from the tariff threat that the administration has issued, that 100% tax on European wine – no, excuse me, on French just wine. Just French wine, correct. Because the French have decided they're going to tax American tech companies out of, into oblivion. Isn't which, that, this, this is fascinating to me. 
where you've got this tax scandal that has erupted because France, Emmanuel Macron, decided that he was going to go after he was going to go after Silicon Valley. Well, and Kevin, this is part of a broader wait, debate. Wait, wait. So then President Trump goes, okay, you're coming after the crown jewels, as Larry Kudlow calls them. He goes, I'm going after your crown jewels. Right. Your wine. Right. And but- now wine's more expensive and... There's a tax on the internet. Not yet, but it'll be problematic not just for importers of foreign wine, for the kind of ridiculous system that we have here for distributing wine. It'll be a big problem for domestic producers as well. But this comes as other OECD companies, countries, are contemplating the same thing. They want to tax American tech companies, and they have been very cavalier about this. They're not saying, oh, it's just a corporate tech. No, they're saying that they want to tax tax tech companies, and they want that to be the American tech companies who take it on the head. The president is right to stand up to them. The tariff approach may be not one that is effect- as effective as he wants All right, it to be. All right, it's time to talk Megxit. <laughs> we'll All go right. from one OECD question right, to the next. Next week is going to be obviously a dominant news story because you've got the debate, Laha with China, uh, Europe, and of course impeachment trial could start. But, I mean, the only story that has, like, kept me glued to my phone. I'm kidding. I'm obviously kidding. But the, the, my sideshow story that I, when I go home after work that I'm obsessed with is Megxit. My whole family back home in Delco, they can't, we're all in a text chain about what the heck is Oprah now involved? This is what your family texts about? Yes. <laughs> there, are, there are memes. Yes, Mama Cirilli, Chicky Cirilli is, is uh, very much up in arms over this. And we're divided, uh, you know, I, in terms of this. I'm going to read from page six. Because I feel like that's an appropriate news source for this. Page six reports Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's close friend, Oprah Winfrey, has said she supports their decision to step down as senior royals. The TV queen, who attended the royal couple's wedding and is close to Meghan's mother, said in a statement, quote, I care about them both and support whatever decision they make as a family. But see, the other reporting, who's following this here? I'm all, all right. over it. You're all over it. I'm all because over it. Because this is a big deal from an economic standpoint. Huge. I mean, Billions of why? dollars at stake. Why? Talk about the economic component. <laughs> just, the click, the just the click advertising alone for the Daily Mail is going to be deeply encoded. <laughs> as well as, you know, tea cozies and other kind of memorabilia when you buy when you go to London. But there's also rumors that uh, this, the royal family, the Sussexes, have placed trademarks on a hundred different they items. Have. Pencils, oh. socks. They've launched this website. All... Under darkness, they nobody in so Buckingham Palace th- knew this was oh, going on. Oh, that's fascinating. Wait, so they're going to set up the, a foundation, what they say, and then the Queen says that they're going to take their time on this, and they put out a statement. The royal family, and quote, discussions with the Duke, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are at an early stage. We understand their desire to take a different approach, but. These are complicated issues that will take time to work through. So what they want to do is set up a foundation, a la the Clinton Foundation, and they want to – seriously – and they want to be able to solicit donations in Canada and trademark their name. I mean, <laughs> Eli, my, your eyes are popping out of your head. There's so many – How do you – so I mean, seriously, like this is a true que- a quick question. Are they going to be selling access to the royal family? I think we're yet to, to learn that. I thought it was amazing the Queen's the, the the statement from the royal family. That was a fierce statement. Yeah, that's like something that's you a see great in U.S. For politics. I can't wait to see Donald Trump weigh in on this. And you know <laughs> oh, that he's going. Yeah, to I, saw Laura Ingram, I saw a good Laura tweet. Laura Ingram had her chance. She missed it. Missed opportunity. <laughs> I saw a good no, tweet that was your did. move. He to wait, wait, what did he no, say? He wait, did wait, weigh in. No, he's like has respect for the Queen. He's somewhat embarrassed by the actions. He felt like they've stepped out of bounds. I'm not I'm butchering really the quote, in. but he's no, already no, no, tweeted. No. That comes up today. He said he stepped. All right, gosh, I missed this. See, Mark, thank you for being as, as obsessed <laughs> with this story. Where's Joe Biden on this? That's the <laughs> real question. <laughs>
but I think it really begs the question of again a member of a, a, a powerful family breaking away or wanting to break away can you sell access to your fa- it's fascinating it's a sign of the times thank you for listening uh, Maddie Duffler thanks for being here Mark Ross thanks for being here Eli Yokley and of course I hope Lila was listening That's I it hope for me. she was too I hope I'm she learned something Cirilli, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1 the countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.